This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. Save time and money using Brew by 5 production software at your craft brewery. Brew by 5 software is a simple and affordable solution for tracking daily production, managing inventory, planning production, and compiling your federal reports. Learn more at fx5solutions.com or by calling 720-638-4958. Brew by 5 production software, brewery management squared away. Welcome to the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Bogner, co-founder and editorial director of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine. My guests on the podcast today are Adriana and Henry Nguyen of Monkish Brewing in Torrance, California. Monkish Brewing. Yes. You guys are started as a Belgian-inspired and mixed fermentation and sour beer brewery. And uh, today are probably known for a different style of beer. Um, give me a little background on on that arc for the brewery and uh, how things have developed for you over the last few years. Uh, so we started off definitely more interested in um, Belgian beers. I think at that point I was drinking a lot more Belgian beers, uh, especially coming from Europe where I um, got a PhD. Uh, and a PhD in theology, early Christianity. And so we um, came back and decided just to focus on, you know, I think our preference was on those styles of beer. And when it came to homebrewing, decided to just homebrew what I enjoyed drinking at that point. And, and, and those were Belgian beers. And I, I think when we started thinking about starting the brewery, we were... We kind of we kind of assumed that okay everyone was making an IPA we probably don't need to make an IPA and we were kind of going from then let's just be like what we enjoy um, drinking and so that's all we focused on and when we started the brewery we didn't have much money and we start we opened up the brewery with about three hundred thousand that we just scraped by from family and friends and did a lot of the work ourselves. And Which may sound like a lot of money to some folks, but yeah. in, in Los Sorry, Angeles, California, launching any business for that is... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, they say the average is to start the brewery, any brewery you want to start as like 500,000 or at the sure. bare half minimum. a mil yeah. is like the bare minimum. Up to a million. So we opened and we were just making clean, simple Belgian beers, trying to get, um, try to build up a cash flow. And I think we... Didn't, even though we always wanted to make uh, barrel-age Belgian beers, uh, we couldn't afford any extra barrels. That, that, that was a luxury item. And then six months after we opened, we got the unit uh, behind us. It came up for lease. And so we decided to take it, even though we couldn't afford it. And then we had an empty warehouse that we set up a basketball hoop, which we still have that basketball hoop. It hasn't been year, used in five, six years. And I think we afford... we we're able to afford one wine barrel for and so all we had in that warehouse was a basketball hoop and just one wine barrel until we started building up more stock as we started getting more cash flow and so our so the the brewery was still focused a lot on belgian beers with the goal of making more uh, barrel aged beers and as that started unfolding kind of looked more sour beers i guess and we couldn't really get our beers to sour and just following like different models that we or methods we were aware of like what the brewery was doing and i think what uh, vinnie from russian river was doing so we try to replicate that and just never worked for us and so we changed our approach and after uh, another year of trying it we started finding a groove and so we kind of focused then a little bit more on mixed fermentation belgian style beers uh, especially in oak um, yeah, with all with the mindset that maybe we should make an IPA at some point. Despite the fact that your your tap room famously yeah. had a sign, yeah, that uh, what? No, we don't make an IPA. It had a sign. Uh, there's this restaurant called Flame Broilers, and it's a chain, and they just do little 
teriyaki bowls. And they have like all these signs throughout their building. It's just all natural, of course. So no trans fat, no MSG, no lard. Um, so I thought it would be funny to have a sign up that says no MSG and no IPA. But there were a lot of Asian fast foods that were doing no MSG. Oh, sure. So it's just yeah. the known thing. Yeah. So we were just playing off of that. So we try to treat it IPA as this phenomenon additive. as an additive. <laughs> so uh, we put it up. We thought it'd be funny. And but in the West Coast, it may not translate as such. No, people got... <laughs> it was like talking bad about their mothers. <laughs> yeah. You know, so we started realizing like, okay, people are getting offended by it. And so the more they got offended, the more we started living that out. Like, look, we're not going to make an IPA. No, we hate IPAs. Even though we were drinking IPAs on the side, but we would always just talk about about it. Uh, so it was something that we would always talk about every few months. When are we going to make an IPA? <laughs> and so we thought about naming uh, IPA broken record, you know, just trying to figure out what is, mm-hmm. what is it going to look like. And um, I, I think with all the beer ner- nerds that were coming in, that they're bringing all these different beers to share with us. So, um, and then also we poured at the Shelton Festival in Los Angeles next to Treehouse. Sure. So we're just trying Julius, and I was like, oh, what is this? I this was is, there for that. Yeah, this yeah. is an odd beer. Yeah. Um, and they call this an IPA. <laughs> and so, like, appreciating that yeast-driven, more, for me, palatable sure. um, hoppy beer, I started getting more intrigued by it. So whenever people would bring in those cans, I found myself more excited to drink that. And then I also found that the um, the West Coast IPA, I don't know if I really ever liked that style, um, but I just kept drinking it because it was mm-hmm. so dry. Mm-hmm. But I found that I didn't like the bitterness, and I also didn't like that you could smell the beer and they would tell you it smells like grapefruit this, this, that, uh, all these you know different fruity notes and then when you drink it all you get is this grapefruit <laughs> pith right so um with that i just didn't really there was a uh dissonance with drinking west coast ipa so um, i think we kind of knew that we were going to gravitate towards the more yeast driven um ones that were made on the east, east coast so when did you finally make one we made one, I think, in February or March of we 2016. And so we brewed it. Well, we did a hoppy Belgian pale before that. Yeah, we, we were Kind of playing with the idea. We also had a lot of hops contracted by this well, point. A Be- lot to us at that time. Yeah. <laughs> That's because relative. we knew that we were trying to get some different hops from other brewers for random beers here and there. Sure. And they like, well, let's trade. And we had nothing to trade for. So we started contracting <laughs> for Hot. Nelson, yeah. Galaxy, yeah. Citra, yeah. everything that we can think of and put us in a nice position. Apparently you chose well. Yeah. Uh. yeah. So, so we... Um, it's like you bought Bitcoin when it was uh, yeah. you know, a couple hundred dollars for a coin, right? So we, we were brewing... A hoppy Belgian beers, and then we knew we wanted to start moving towards bringing in English ale yeast strains for these uh, IPAs. So we brought it in, we tried it, didn't tell a single soul what we were doing, and we carbonated, put it on draft, and I think of only a few people knew what was going on. The rest thought they were just weird Belgian beers. <laughs> and so we decided that um, April Fool's was coming up, so maybe this would be the time to do it. So on April Fool's, we announced that we were doing a can release of an IPA, uh, and it happened to be a collab with Other Half. So Other Half was there like a few weeks before, and we were brewing, and we told them what we were going to do. It's like, well, let's just brew a beer together for your first one, like actual released one. So that was our first time calling any beer um, an IPA. So we released it. We announced it on April Fool's Day that we were going to sell the following day which was on a Saturday and people, we showed up and there were people in the parking lot 
knocking on the doors and asking us, is this real? <laughs> or is it, is it a joke? Yeah, so we said, no, we're, you know. It's a real can release. We are a real yeah. business. We would not joke in this capacity. <laughs> well, we might. Well, we would, we would stop it. Which is why you put it out there on April 1st, yeah. to, to make sure there was no question that it was truthful. Yeah. <laughs> so that first release, um, we sold out by the time we got to the end of the line. Uh, it was a small release, and then we've been going at it, not knowing yeah, what Yeah, do you remember happen. how many cases that was? I don't even remember. I think 65 only. Really? And so today now, the demand ends up so high for those IPAs that you, what, announce them the day of? You, you don't even pre-announce them? Uh, we do about an hour. Depends on the day. Depends on the day and how we're feeling uh, our relations with how, the neighbors are. How we're feeling. Okay. All right, well, also, so. what's happening in the market? Right, like, well, no. how many events are going on? Yeah. Like, what are we competing against? And also, there's... You know, Is it Friday or Saturday or Tuesday? So we don't really have a strategy when it comes to releasing. <laughs> Although people okay. think we do. Yeah, sure they, they think do, it's right. so calculated. Um, we sit ar- maximize yeah. those profits. So, just, so yeah. we sit around and we'll ask, all right, guys, what day should we release this week? Should it be Tuesday, Wednesday, or maybe Thursday? And I would tell them, look, I need the beer out Tuesday, ideally, but Wednesday I could probably make happen. Then everyone's like, well, I have dinner plans. I have this. I have that. So we're like, all right, I guess it's this day. And then we just roll with it. Um, I guess it keeps it keeps um, the human nature of our business by allowing humans to kind of shape things. So we're here at the Brewers Retreat in Austin. Earlier, you know, you uh, sat up on stage and, and talked with, uh, you know, Trevor from DeGuard about your process mm-hmm. on this. Um you mentioned a few things about the way that you make IPA that, that really stood out to me. Um, you know, the first, a lot of folks, when, you, when we talk about hazy or expressive or juicy or New England style IPAs, um, water chemistry, you know, that chloride to sulfite ratio. And you mentioned to me that, uh, or you mentioned to the whole group that you don't really treat your water. No, uh, the only thing we do is we do... Uh all of our beers, we will, unless it's a dark beer, we will use uh, about 3% acid malt. Sure. And then we'll add a little bit more lactic acid um, during the mash and maybe correct it during the boil. Um, just trying to target a, um, a knockout pH pre- pre-fermentation of around 5. And that's pretty much for all of our beers. Just been something pretty important. Uh, for our beers. Calcium chloride, we will add if we feel like it, or sometimes I'm not convinced it really does anything, and it's so mm. minimal that we normally don't. If anything, I'm more interested in more calcium than the chloride. And so our water is pretty high in sulfate. Um, I'm not necessarily looking for that one-to-one ratio or whatever it is, just I want more calcium, and I would like less sulfate, not more chloride, just in general. Okay, um, and yet your your beers still have that soft and, and pillowy mouthfeel that's you know associated with yeah. that style. Um, how do you create that without uh, you know tweaking that water chemistry so significantly? Uh, grain bill, working with our yeast, kind of knowing what it'll do. We noticed that uh, higher generations of of when we're running more generations and as we keep repitching. Uh, the yeast is cranking, becoming more predictable, but then it loses this, I don't know, it's, it's like a glycerol or, or this mm. quality that contributes to a, a fuller mouthfeel. Uh, we've been playing around with the base malt. We've noticed that, uh, so we use raw two-row a lot, and as um, more West Coast breweries are shifting from country malt to, to raw, uh, the profile of raw ha- uh, two-row has changed. Where mm. They're modifying a little bit lower, less. So, uh, uh, sorry, killing it a little less. So it gets a little bean sprouty. So when that happens, you know, we're adding more of um, a different base malt to try to blend it out or just try and play with more specialty malts like crystal malts. Um, and just trying to crystal malts now in this style. That's yeah. you know that's verboten. Yeah. So we <laughs> we've been playing quite a bit more with 
crystal malts. Okay. Or any kind of crystallized, like golden naked oats or just whatever, uh -huh. just to add. It, small percentages? Very small, three, actually um, two to four percent. Okay. And so we've kind of been pushing that a little bit more and seeing that it's better for us to to use a more simple base malt and play more with specialty malt to get like a more complete um, malt profile that does lend to that mouthfeel. So, the, so playing with that, playing with carbonation levels, um, and then just watching, well, and also knowing the hops. So certain hops um, that don't have enough oil content will typically create more edges for us. What do you mean by edges? Like a more... Less pillowy. <laughs> yeah, definitely less pillowy. Okay. A little sharper. sharper. It's uh -huh. sharper, a little higher resin. Uh -huh. um, sometimes that pininess contributes to a perceived... Um, I don't know. I, I contribute as a, a, a jaggedness. I think in people's mind, they just want to drink it and think of fruits, especially tropical fruits. And in doing so, it makes them feel as though they're drinking kerns, nectar, or jamba juice, or whatever, uh, or like a pina colada. Just, right. just something that is a lot more smoother than, um, you know, bitter and sharp. Which hops in particular have some of those effects for you, I, I oh galaxy, that. simple. Just it's galaxy and mm -hmm. um, many lots of citra these days. Interesting, high oil. Um, yeah, it just does something pretty magical for the beer. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. We've also been playing around with beers that attenuate a little bit more. We noticed that if we add more, if if those beers are with galaxy and let's say citra, they tend to they tend to drink much fuller. Huh. Then even a beer that didn't attenuate as well, and if we went more, let's say, Mosaic, Amarillo, uh, some of these other hops, uh, El Dorado, it doesn't, it has a different feel. So it's all this perceived, um, yeah, it's all, it's all perceived juiciness or whatever you want to call it. You are the first brewer I've talked to that has talked about the individual hops impact on the actual mouthfeel of a beer mm. um, no, I think I think that that's fascinating are there any other impacts on those uh, from a sensory perspective from from other hops that you find uh, you know particular are there are there hops that you don't like using or that you use less just because mosaic they, we use less yeah. for some reason I would love to use mosaic more uh, but it just doesn't really function well interesting so if you like most of our beers aren't that heavy mosaic I think we only have a handful so I don't know if it's going to the farmers and just trying to figure out how do I get mm -hmm. a profile that, of mosaic that will work. Once in a while, we do find some lots that come through the brewery and I'm like, yeah, this is good. And so we'll just make as many mosaic beers as possible until that lot is gone. What is it about that specific sensory of that mosaic that would let you say, hey, this is really good? Well, of course, for most of our hops, we go for higher fruit qualities and yeah. less earthiness, less dankiness, no pine, uh, stuff that more traditional brewers are, are after. And so we're not for that. I think mosaic, when it's good, I think it has to do more of, well, I have this theory. I have a theory that maybe mosaic is better when it's older. Interesting. So, so I, going back to some of them, uh, some of the brew logs, I've noticed that they were older mosaic. Do you think that it's a that's a cropier thing, or do you think that that's a age yeah. of the mosaic itself? Not sure, yeah. not sure. But these are all the different theories that I'm always trying to work out, or just talk to other brewers. What have you noticed? Because like the mosaic that we have right now, it's extremely fruity. It is sweet. Hmm. It almost contributes more sweet tea quality, and a lot of IPAs that, uh, of the style that we've noticed people make. Um, have this sensation it just tastes like sweet tea yeah. and i think people do really enjoy those beers because they're they tend to be very soft well not soft but more like just simply drinking juice like canned juice and i think for us that's not the profile we're after we're actually looking for more of the idea of um 
squeezing juice out of hops where <laughs> it still is an assertively hoppy beer. Yeah. Yeah. What is it about the interaction of Galaxy and Citra that uh, where that mutual uh, uh, support and influence of those hops creates some sum that's that's greater than the individuals? Galaxy on its own is really good. Citra on its own is really good. And the two together are pretty magical. Every other hop I, I, we find needs to be in some kind of balance. Um, even some of the newer hops like Vic Secret we enjoy, but we find that over a certain percentage it just doesn't work. And yeah. it's always trying to find that right blend. And some blends we we just stumble upon and it's just it's just beautiful. But so it's, I think that's more of an art thing that I can really explain. I sure. just can't explain why I've kind of gotten to know some of these hops much better than others. Another thing that you, uh, you mentioned earlier, and um, I think this, you know, there's a assumption out there in the market that uh, somehow hazy IPAs, juicy IPAs, uh, unfiltered IPAs are rushed beers mm. but you mentioned that you some of your ipas are spending 32 days yeah uh, it's a 32 day cycle yeah. from mm -hmm. brewing which you know again for for a lot of west coast ipas i mean they're out in you know low 20 something days uh you know so your hazy beers hazy ipas are spending a considerable amount of extra time mm -hmm. in tanks before you release them <clears throat> Uh, yeah. which would seem to defy that logic of these are just rushed beers. Why do it that way? I guess um, overall it's the finished product, and we find that the finished product, if we get more stuff to settle out, the better the beer is. And then also because we know people um, enjoy trading our beers, um, and so it travels a lot, so we want to make sure it's a stable product. Mm -hmm. So we're just trying to get as much yeast to settle out as possible, and then also uh, hot particles and whatever else that could drop out, we want it to drop out. We go through a pretty um, slow crashing um, after it's done um, dry hopping, and then we'll transfer it uh, to the bright tank and let it sit for as long as possible. So one of the moves we want to make is get more bright tanks so we can just let it sit, let it kind of mellow out. I, you know, even West Coast IPAs, many of them, when you drink it on day one, it tends to be very resiny. Um, same thing with these beers. It probably even more so if there's yeast and suspension, if it bound to the hot particles creating these, you know, biotransformative uh, uh, byproducts that people are after. If that yeast doesn't settle out, you're going to be tasting some yeast um, astringency. So, yeah, we're just looking for these beers to settle out. And I think with the English L strains, a number of, number of them don't like to flock out. And uh, speaking of biotransformation, you also mentioned that you, know, you all do not dry hop until fermentation is complete. Yeah. So that you can harvest that yeast and have clean yeast to work from which from a pr production standpoint makes a lot of sense but there are a number of breweries that do believe in that kind of biotransformative thing and are uh are dry hopping before fermentation is complete what have you found in your experiments with that yeah we've tried it all we tried dry hopping even knocking out into the fermenter at yeah. the beginning and just trying to dry hop wherever we can uh and i think we've found that if we dry hopped early for our just whatever however we treat the beer it tends to be some of the more muddled beers it doesn't okay. have a there's not a refined like character it's just kind of like a hop soup mess hmm. um, and so we found and also um, it always worries me about any kind of um, production or just more diacetyl precursors that might be there as we're as we're seeing more fermentation during the dry hop sure. and especially we dry hop under pressure okay so um yeah just trying to get it just trying to get it as stable as possible knowing what we're working with and then making sure it undergoes a you know your typical diacetyl rest and then dry hop that's a good point that uh you know we, we've are finding more research now that uh 
dry hopping can re-kickstart yeah. that fermentation yeah. uh, and cause further attenuation if there if there is a lot of yeast out there. Do you, do you see that in your beers, or is that process really meant to counteract that? We all um, we don't see a gravity drop yeah. anymore. Um, I think early on we did, but then in, we were using hydrometers back then, and I think now we're um, we're degassing all of our samples, so we're getting okay. a more proper reading. And I I believe that we do not see any gravity drop, probably in 95% of the beers. Once in a while, we'll, we'll get a beer, especially for some reason lower ABV beers, hmm. we might see a lower gravity drop. Um, so uh and and this is during the dry hop yeah uh so yeah we we see though a there's something that happens during the fermenter uh, uh inside the fermenter during the dry hop where there is we start noticing a buildup of pressure hmm. and it looks like it's um some kind of um, re-fermentation that's going on yeah whether it's the small amount of sugar that might be on the hops but there's something happening, and it's re- and it's off gassing. So. And you crash those beers, you know, pretty hard to also to you know uh, drop out all yeah. of that yeast. Yeah, we we top off the uh, tank pressure to 15 every day while it's crashing, and then we you know get it down cold and let it sit for ideally over a week. Now, for a brewery, you're the size of yours, and I have been out to your brewery in Torrance. It is tiny. <laughs> yes. um, that's a lot of investment and a lot of tank space for these beers. Well, especially when you think about IPAs and what production brewers have done with like West Coast IPAs, sure. turning around and like clockwork with uh, mm-hmm. two week turnaround times. Um, yeah, I wish I felt more comfortable <laughs> doing it. So, so when are you gonna have more tanks so you can make more beer? <laughs> Yeah, that's the that's the big debate. I think right now we're focusing more on oak. Um, okay. Got a new warehouse space that's going to just free it up with more oak. We're probably trying to think more about longevity as a business. So trying to focus on different beers, more bourbon barrel-aged beers. Hmm. Um, we probably will get another bright tank, let beers settle a bit long, um, and also not have to be forced to package when we need a tank open. Right. But rather than when the, when we think the beer is ready, um, and then we might get a larger fermenter and bright tank for just to be able to do every other week a larger run, just because we know the demand is pretty high. So sometimes we feel responsible that we need to make more beer. Right. How do you balance that? I mean, you know, there is the beer you want to make. There's the beer that consumers want you to make. Mm-hmm. You know, there's an artistic vision that you have for this and, you know, your vision for the Monkish brand. There's the consumer expectation of what the Monkish brand is. Um, those don't always align. But how, how do you balance those different expectations, you know, your own creative drive to make things versus what your consumers expect for you to make for them? I would say the beauty in it is that we're so small, we can just do what we want and there's enough on there that our, our market will buy it up. And so the ones that really love Monkish for the brand, they'll come back and, and buy whatever you know we put out there because they understand and trust the quality of what we're doing and the creativity behind what we're doing. So we don't get too bogged down behind you know putting out certain styles or certain beers. We feel free enough to be creative and do what we love because that's why we got in it i mean if we were a huge brewery having to shelf beer and sell it on the market that way then we would definitely feel that pressure i think but we're direct to consumers so right we get to talk to our customers on a daily basis shake their hands and see how they feel about it and it's a real relationship i mean cans are even very tricky for us they're the quickest sell through we have no problem selling cans we could probably double triple a production of cans and i think we would still have the same sell through um we hope (laughs) but the margins for cans are just so bad yeah Mm. you know and especially at our our high drop uh dry hopping rates it's not the most profitable i'd rather see more pours of it i you know like i think we did the math when we did our Trillium collab, um, double dry hop, triple IPA, 
compared to cans, if we were, we didn't even have that much available, but if we were to sell it by the pint, which we wouldn't sell it by the pint, but anyways, versus the can, the same volume, it would be by pint. I think we, the markup was like $9 more. I'm like, we're just losing that much because canned prices are always so uh, fragile. People, for some reason, don't care about, you know, the price of bombers as much as they huh. do uh, 16 ounce cans. So they would come in and spend nine or ten dollars on a glass of it in your in your tap room. No problem. Paying yeah. that same mm-hmm. amount of money for the same volume of beer mm-hmm. in a can. In a can. Yep. They're not interested in doing that. Well, they'll do it, but there's just there'll, there'll be a lot of uproar, and I, I yeah. think that's why. Even the brewers that do a lot of bourbon barrel aged beers that are considering canning them. Um, I've yet to see um, over a dollar per ounce yeah. for a can mm-hmm. bourbon barrel aged beer, while if it's in a bottle, you clearly see it at a buck twenty, buck twenty five easily. Sure, sure. So, 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 yeah. So it's, uh, but we do see a sense of responsibility that we should make more than just keep playing this. Like, yeah, we can't make more. We can't make more. Uh, so we have been thinking about. If it's if it's simply instead of buying another thirty, let's buy another like a sixty barrel fermenter. Um, like one of the, the frustrating things to see is all these big breweries doing limited can releases, mm-hmm. and they find their smallest tank and do these special <laughs> limited releases so they can sell out. Yeah. And for us, I mean, we're trying to package as much as possible. Yeah. I mean, these are the biggest tanks we have. So you're not necessarily trying to make it limited or small. No, That's just no. all you can produce. But, but also we have to, uh, for us, because the tasting room has become so busy that we cannot deplete that um, that marketing potential um, of regular people that aren't necessarily there for the fanaticism that just want sure. a growler and they want a beer. What, I, what we do enjoy is that when we put a beer for growler fills, it will last a few days to a week right versus on if we just can it it would just be gone in a couple hours so it, it allows more uh, of an opportunity to get one of our beers while if we canned everything then there would be no um, tasting room sure i found it interesting when i when i visited your your tap room last year that uh there were a lot of locals it is not necessarily just you know uber beer geeks that are in there they are um, and it was also one of the most diverse mm. crowds mm-hmm. in, in a craft beer tap mm-hmm. room that uh, you know and I, I can be self-reflective of, of the craft beer world as a whole but it's very overwhelmingly white in most parts of the country yeah. mm-hmm. um, it's generally overwhelmingly male uh, yeah. not, you know not to the credit of craft beer but it's something that most craft brewers want to f- work on and fix making it more diverse making it you know making craft beer that appeals to wider audiences and your tap room was was living that vision you know lots of women uh, lots of folks of various ethnicities uh, you know uh, lots of uh, uh, you know, the, it looks like your typical Southern California population. Mm-hmm. Um, is that a product of your location? Is that a product of, uh, you know, outreach from the brewery? I, I mean, how do you build a, an audience like that? I think it's being who we are. I mean, obviously, Henry and I are, are diverse ourselves, just being married, <laughs> just within ourselves. Um, but also growing up in Los Angeles and... Uh, the names of our beers, the music that we play, um, really reaches out to the local culture around us. Uh, we are local Los Angeles kids. Um, yeah. You know, grew up very, very near outside of Torrance, in, but more on the LA side. Um, and so, I think it attracts to that crowd. Uh, but I, I definitely understand what you mean because our crowd, if I go to a neighboring brewery, it's a total different culture in the local brewery down the street. And then, you know, I, I'm like, where do these people come from? So it's kind of unique and exciting. Um, I've, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, so I'm happy that you're bringing it up because I was telling Henry, I think we might be the most diverse brewery 
in the United States. Like, let's just call it what it is. Like, that's kind of a fun, that's kind of a fun label to have if that's, if that's true. I don't know how to prove it. Like, what's the next step in proving it? But it doesn't matter. In this culture, in this world and and where we're at, like, it's a fun label to have. (laughs) If there's any label I want, that's it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure also whether... I think it reflects on our our taproom team too. Yeah, we we're have a very diverse, very diverse um, uh, taproom team and brew house even. Softer branding always helps. Trying to be more gender inclusive as much mm-hmm. as possible. Um, well, when we came out with our beer feminist, I think that kind of yeah. But I also, <laughs> but I also wonder because of our beers in general, more like um, fruitier mixed fermentation beers, our IPAs being more fruit forward. Um, and also Belgian beers, just sweeter as you know, perceived esters. Mm-hmm. Um, that maybe it it appeals to more ethnic palates. You know, like I've always been surprised, even for like West Coast IPAs, how many of the hopheads in Southern California are Hispanics. It somehow correlates to their um, their palates. I was also going to say, um, just like growing up in Los Angeles, like having such a vast variety of ethnic food like the palate is explores a lot so you're introduced to how many you know scents you smell or how many things you taste and just being exposed to that variety I think opens up the doors to more culture and more flavor profiles and and so when I first started drinking wine you know it was a big bold Merlot or something really old-fashioned that way because that's where my palate was, and I think that's where Henry's palate was. Uh, also, what took us away from being enticed by West Coast IPAs, uh, because even though it was there on the nose, it wasn't there on the palate. Why our monkish IPAs were, that's probably what it was birthed out of. Yeah, but also, like, that. my approach to beer, I like more softer profile all around, right. just gentle. Yeah. I want the beer to feel good. Well, I was going to say, we're swinging back. I think as there are trends that happen in a person, you know, whether it happens culturally or whether it happens on an individual level, but you explore things and there's a full circle of, of exploration. So people get to come along that journey with Monkish as Henry and I go on it. That's the truth. <laughs> so yeah. when you say, what's the next beer? I don't know. <laughs> Let's well, see how we Yeah, can just a number of things. Next. I mean, the tasting room, it is what it is. Sure, um, sure. And there has to be just, that element of like local local brewery and, making a splash on a national level. Um, or and just luck. feeling that kind of pride. Or luck. Yeah, yeah, some yeah. of it is just luck. Yeah. Sometimes, I, sometimes we think about, you know, like... I, we, like with our staff. I know right now it's easy for us to sell beer. And I know for like the tasting room, they don't really have to do anything. All they have to do is just pour and pour ring it, up and that's be it. Smi- be, send a smile. Uh, they don't even need to send a smile. <laughs> but because of all this, I want them to never take it for granted and think about the customer experience. Think about how long people have to wait in line. Think about you know the pour size. You know, For us, we tend to be a brewery that we always have to say these are the rules and don't do this don't do that and um, become so tiresome yeah so just think about the customer experience where it is more positive you know we're speaking to them in in more positive uh, or a positive uh, posture so um yeah just never take these things for granted and uh we've been given something and let's make the most of it let's think about the beers let's think about even now, um, are we able to source better ingredients with you know, the extra um, resources that we have and also connections that we have? Yeah. You would think that Monkish could reach out to any hops broker or any, mm. any brewing supply you know, company, mm. and uh, if you wanted something, they'd probably send it to you. Is, does it work that way, or uh, what's your reality? Some of it, sometimes. sometimes, but in general, no. It's still, we're still the smaller guy that is more of a pain in the ass to work with. Service, yeah. You know, because sure. we're just, yeah. we yeah. keep wanting things a certain way, and we're just expecting that certain um, product. Yeah, so it's, no, it's not easy. And also the challenge of being a small brewery that if I'm, if I'm on the brew deck more than I should, or if I'm in meetings you know, dealing with drama at the brewery, 
um, that you that create. They, yeah, that it <laughs> that it takes away from the time of doing these things that I would like to to do, and you know, like visiting more hop farms and you know farmers in general. How how do you balance running that business and spending that time on the brew deck with being innovative, with being creative, with generating new ideas, uh, you know, testing out some of those ideas on small scales before you you know roll into things, um, and and what does that creative process look like for you? Where do, where do your new ideas come from? I would say balance is not the word that we would ever use. We don't live in a balance. I think people hmm. search for balance. Henry and I live in a tension. We are like a rubber band. <laughs> And you can ask any one of our employees, and in that tension, in that chaos, in the middle of it is there's this kind of peace or this place that we should all be. Uh, and so creativity comes, for us anyways, in that tension. Um, we, it also comes with like uh, meeting the right people and being inspired by the right people. Partly why we collaborate who we collaborate with, uh, it's because they're brewers that inspire us. Like they're awesome people and they love and are as passionate about what they're doing that than, than we are, even more so maybe mm-hmm. than we are. Or we feel that they are more than we are. Um, so that has made the whole experience rewarding and I think worth it. Yeah, the business side is very hard. That It's not something I'm good at. I'm not good at managing people. Um, I have a naive view that people should want to work at a brewery because they want to make the best beer that they can and they're going to be fully engaged in the process. Um, but now many people, it's a job. So, so it is kind of frustrating and, and having to adapt and trying to learn, I guess, the art of managing or the art of being running a business. So there's like, I think that's, that's like where my creativity new, comes yeah, in. She's I love people. More. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's sometimes like lately I've been thinking about is it that something that is ingrained in me? Like when, when I was in the Marines, um, it was mission accomplishment, then troop welfare. And that's kind of how I see the, the brewery. I don't care what it takes, let's just get it done. And yeah, and the employees feel it some days. Uh oh. Yeah. <laughs> I feel it because I'm there with them, you know, it's, and that's one of the things is that even when they're gone, I'm still working because I just trying to maintain it. And I think because of all the attention that we have, I feel a greater responsibility of making sure um, that we keep moving at this pace that we are. Maybe it's that's why you feel that like you felt that we were so small is because I hope that it's. On, from the outside, it looks like we're an operation that is a lot bigger than we actually are, just because of the amount of beer we produce, the amount of um, um, support that we put to a release, like you know, social media, whatever it is, and the traveling, the collaborations, and all that um, makes us seem a lot bigger than we really are. Our, one of our slogans, or our slogan, is "Beer, Hope, Love." Uh, I actually think it should be be thoughtful because I think in thoughtfulness and being present where you are then you can fully enjoy any experience you're having you know with friends with people and I think for us at the brewery it's you know be thoughtful be thoughtful about what you're telling me about this beer be thoughtful when you're tasting Mm -hmm. it be thoughtful when you're counting kegs be thoughtful when you're washing kegs you know uh, one of the Henry also put on the brew house. Uh, what does it say up there? Brew with passion. Mm, no, brew with. Brew with soul. Brew with your soul, not with your mind. Brew with your soul, not with your mind. So don't be calculated about it. And yes, it, there's a lot of chemistry that's involved, but understand that there's a life in it, in everything that we touch, and you know. And at the end of the day, someone gets to experience it. I think that's an interesting point because. You know, some out there in the beer market, especially in your local org, may assume that you've got, you know, some calculated plan to extract maximum dollars out of all the people right. that line up and whatnot. Yeah. And uh, but it's interesting to hear from your perspective that it's a much more fluid process. Mm-hmm. You know that that it's uh, and and that it's even a painful process on your side to to have mm-hmm. that restriction. Yeah. 
uh, and that challenge mm-hmm. around the product to where you can't pre-announce things and people can't plan for it because things are just going to get out of hand. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, cash but, flow is is great, but whether we're being profitable, that's you know a, a different question. You know, these are all the different things that we have to now sit back and reflect on. Is like, are we really? maximizing what we're doing here mm-hmm. well just in your comment i really appreciate that because what it means is is that we're not living this like ordinary lifestyle that is scheduled and although the schedules help us organize things you know we want to live this interrupted life sometimes that keeps us enticed or excited or engaged with why we're here or what's our purpose you know uh which i definitely can appreciate appreciate so, what keeps you up at night? <laughs> Simple. <laughs> what keeps you up at night, Henry? Employees. <laughs> uh, Henry These snoring days. keeps me up at night. His sleep apnea keeps me up. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, probably that. Yeah. I, the beers will always keep me on edge, but I've learned to... I've really come to a place that if I, I know that if I don't like a beer, I could just dump it. If there's nothing to do right. with that beer, so we have some beers that we'll be sending into that bourbon keeps barrels, you up, and I'm okay with it because I'll just let it sit there, mm-hmm. and I have the potential of blending back with it and achieving what I want to do with it. Um, yeah, so other beers, like collabs, gets a little trickier because it's yeah. someone else involved. But in general, I'm okay with dumping a beer, or I've learned to do some things with some other batches. We blend some batches sometimes. Um, but those always worry me. Like every day I know because of the way that we make the beer, it's always trying to figure out, trying to dial in that process. Yeah, so that keeps me up at night. Um, but mostly. What's For me, best? my kids keep me up yeah. at night. <laughs> sure, I sure. live in reality. Henry lives in Legoland. <laughs> Ooh. 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 Well, what's the what's the next piece of, of stretching that rubber band intention that's going to you know create a, a exciting and, and, and creative opportunity for you? I think for me right now is just really diversifying our portfolio, like showing yeah. people that we brew more than just monkish IPAs, um, and just being even here with Trevor, um, realizing what got us into this to begin with. Uh, and now that Henry's exploring like brewing stouts and uh, expressing what monkish is on all levels is fun. Like that idea, uh, it'll be a challenge, you know, to try to excel in each of those cal- categories. And um, but I think it's definitely where we need to be and where we need to go next. Yeah, I mean that's the tough part is trying and- to think of what is next and the more that we do in a given year people expect more the following year and um my capacity to handle more beer to worry about more beer is uh, i don't have much in me i think it's easy for people to assume that expansion is where we should go next and i think for someone else that might be the right answer it hardly ever is the right answer for us. And I know that might be painful for some of our supporters to hear and we want to give them what they want. So that's a tension in itself. But, you know, what does that expansion look like, you know? Yeah, I mean, it really is a reflection of us. And maybe because it involves around the beer that we produce might involve uh, more so on my limitations of a human being and what I'm willing to give up. And so I think I limit a lot of our potential. Mm-hmm. I would agree. <laughs> I, yeah, we can't make more beer. It just worries me. It, yeah. Henry is our limit, everybody. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, well, I often tell Henry, like, sometimes he, like, will joke around and, like, oh, when he dies, the monkish will die with him. And as his partner and spouse, it's like, that's not a fair statement. Part of me is romantic, you know, that's romantic and, and, and that sounds great. So I don't, I don't know what happens. Like if something ha- was to happen to Henry, what, what would, what would we do? And you know, what would Monkish become? Um, I struggle with that because I might let it go with him. And if it, if it was to happen, um, because I'm more of the entrepreneur anyways. And so entrepreneurs can do other businesses and 
and succeed. And so mm-hmm. this is more Henry's than it is mine, I feel, um, in so many ways. This is the first time we've explored the topic of death here on the Craft Beer Brewing <laughs> Podcast. Uh, oh, we're very <laughs> solemn people. <laughs> no, look, so yeah, so people when think... When Henry of, dies. <laughs> so people think that you should sell. At 40. Right? <laughs> you should but, sell. I don't know. Like, for me, it's like, wouldn't it be cool not to sell and just close Let up one go. day? Let it go, yeah. It was like when we started making IPAs, there was this rumor that Unless came around our kids take it. that, hey, that we heard this rumor that you're only going to make IPAs for a year and just stop. And I'm like, oh, it's that brilliant. would be so cool. <laughs> Why didn't I think about that? That would be so that? punk rock to do, right? It's like, yeah, I'm done. Thank you, guys. And just walk this away. This is our last it. can release. Yeah. I don't know. So It might happen. I don't know. Yeah. So, so, so I wonder, <laughs> should, you know, should you just let it die with you? But I think also creative people have a lot more to express. So, I don't know. Maybe there's something else. Would you ever kill Monkish and start a new brewery just to, it's you know, a when, when the Monkish idea yeah, it's a ran, possibility. It, ran its course? Yeah, I, I, we, we think about it. I mean, having a tasting room with our demographic sometimes is... It, it, there's a lot of liability and there's a lot of just feel like we're always i don't know playing with a lot of risk and and so sometimes we think about closing down the tasting room like how would that be if we didn't if we got rid of the majority of our employees and just had like a very small team and we sold everything to go like pick up no human interaction that would be awesome (laughs) Yeah. It could be like all the beer barns yeah. here in Texas where you just drive yeah. through and yeah, then you go. You know, right. Pick yeah. it up, enjoy it with your friends. Yeah. Well, on that happy note. Uh, yeah, not death, but closing monkish. If, 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 <laughs> this is the most, the most morbid edition of the podcast ever. Right, right. Uh, if people want to learn more about monkish, where, where do they learn, learn more about you? Mm www.monkish.com no, no? I think we started taking away a lot of information um, other podcast interviews is probably the best where, where is your main relationship with, with customers Facebook, Twitter, Instagram 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 um, and Twitter no mostly Instagram these days and it's at monkish brewing at monkish brewing Can't, Twitter is mostly like can releases yeah, did you did we post today? Probably not. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah Instagram. We'll find you on Instagram at Monkish yeah. Brewing. Yeah. Right. Or always feel free to send us an email. Fantastic. Well, Adriana and Henry, thank, thank you guys you. so thank much you. for joining us here. Yeah. And Austin, thanks for joining me on the podcast and uh, we appreciate it. If you're interested in the Craft Beer and Brewing podcast, please subscribe to this podcast. Please subscribe to Craft Beer and Brewing magazine. We'll be back next week with another installation. Thank you all. Thank you. Save time and money using BrewBy5 production software at your craft brewery. BrewBy5 software is a simple and affordable solution for tracking daily production, managing inventory, planning production, and compiling your federal reports. Learn more at fx5solutions.com or by calling 720-638-4958. BrewBy5 production software, brewery management squared away. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew.